0: It just reminded you that church services aren't perfect creations. They're humble offerings of worship to a God that knows our flaws and our imperfection. Welcome to Season 3
1: of the Surrender Podcast. I'm Craig Petty.
2: And I'm Charlene De Los Santos.
1: Together, we're the Directors of Surrender. Surrender a collective of people and organisations carrying a message to motivate, support and equip us to live out the radical call of Jesus amongst the margins.
2: In this podcast, we're providing a platform for conversation and storytelling as we hear from some friends who embody this message. While we might not always agree with everything we hear from one another, what we desperately want to do is create a space to listen and to learn and to find Jesus in the centre of it all.
1: Today, we're talking disability inclusion with our guests, Graham Turner and Joe Pinkard. Welcome to both of you. I'm really excited for what I'm going to learn in this conversation. So Joe, can I invite you to introduce yourself to our listeners and then Graham to do the same?
3: My name is Joe Pinkard. I'm the Church and Community Engagement Manager at CVM Australia. One of the things we're really passionate about is the inclusion of people with a disability, both globally, but also in the church. Um, And so when we do anything, we try to have people with and people without a disability um, presenting together.
0: Yes, well, thanks, Joe, and uh, thanks for the opportunity of sharing in this way. I'm Graham Turner and I have a lived experience of vision impairment. I was born with congenital glaucoma Mm -hmm. and that really meant that I only had 3% vision for the early part of my life. Mm -hmm. And I do have recollections even of... As I was being reared in a church family through the Methodist Uniting Church, and uh, they had, I guess, a hunger born of faith to uh, get me healed, as they saw it. And um, mm. at one point, I was taken to a an aunt's uh, house, and I remember this minister this practitioner putting hands over my eyes and praying over me at the age of six I didn't really know what was going on other than I felt more well, I shouldn't be praying it's really up to him and I don't want to over pray mm-hmm. but uh, nothing really happened there uh, I had other experiences of an attempt uh, of healing particularly when uh, in later years around uh, late 20s into the 30s I had Declining vision, it was becoming harder and harder to read books. And I'm a passionate reader, and that was a real challenge for me. Mm-hmm. I resorted to audio books, tape books in those days, but uh, the vision dropped off. Again, there was uh, an attempt to take me to a faith healer, and uh, I did feel a certain degree of energy passing into my body, and that was a Affirming it that there was a response, there was an energy there. The site wasn't healed, so I was particularly, I guess, challenged at that point to figure well, no, what's belief? What's where's God in this? How can he not respond? How can he not heal? And uh, I know some churches will have this kind of position that if you're not healed, then your faith needs to be built up to get to the point where you can be healed but i prefer to sort of look at it that it's just a mystery god has his own purposes in terms of leaving some people living in their experience it may be an opportunity to or a space for grace and compassion and inclusion to be uh, administered by other people but at the same time it's just one of those uh, mysterious things so my faith now, even even given those setbacks has still endured and I've sort of always had even though there's no been no uh, clear and immediate kind of healing there's that sense that uh, God is always there, Jesus is walking alongside me in that kind of figurative darkness it's not an actual darkness because mm. I have um actually see grey rather than uh, night or blackness, but mm-hmm. in a figurative sense of working, walking through that uh, shadow, the the, uh, the valley of the shadow of death, you know, it has that kind of uh, extra resonance, I guess, to know that uh, the uh, shepherd is walking alongside me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've had um, experience uh, in that faith journey too, in a range of traditions, moved from Uniting Church to uh involvement in Baptist churches and also Anglican churches and uh, have noticed there that there's um, an opportunity to share my faith. I have uh, capability in music, particularly playing flute, uh, gift with words and leading prayers and uh, I find that uh, that has been a real opportunity, uh, a God-given opportunity and uh, not that I like to uh, boast about these things because sometimes no, I'll get up and I'll lead prayers and I'm not even quite 100% sure what I'm going to say, but the words somehow will come. So mm. uh, I just uh, like to feel that God's given me that that right phraseology of those words to say, as I hope he's helping me with now.
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, uh, very so, articulate mm. and very wise.
0: Thank you. Um, so, yeah, that, that's really kind of where my faith journey is going. I don't mm-hmm. profess to be the, the greatest, no, most devout card-carrying Christian in the whole world, but uh, <laughs> no, it's just a way of, for me, just hanging in there and know that Jesus is walking alongside. That keeps me on the road. So much wisdom in that.
1: And, Graham, how did you become involved in CBM's ministry?
0: With the uh, faith on the one hand and the lived experience of vision impairment, it just seemed a a natural fit to use those talents to commit myself to the CBN cause. And, of course, I... I'm wholeheartedly in belief of that cause, not only because I can directly connect with the kind of work that we're doing, but because it is that kind of outworking of Christ's calling on us to reach out to those who are most marginalised and vulnerable on the edge in developing countries and to offer them real hope. Mm -hmm.
2: That's great.
1: So, Joe, how about you describe for us the work that you're involved in, both here and overseas?
3: Yeah, so um, CBM is a global organisation. It's been operating for over 110 years and it was founded by a German pastor called Ernst Christoffel. Uh, So the original name was Christoffel Blunden Mission and it kind of um, came to Australia in uh, about Mm -hmm. 40 years ago and and was initially called Christian Mm -hmm. Blind Mission, uh, which is what a lot of people know it as. Um, And then, yeah, about... uh, (laughs) 10 or 15 years ago, it, it, it rebranded and, and became CBM Australia. And so we um, fund programs in uh, Asia and Africa uh, predominantly and a little bit in the Pacific. We work through a partnership model. Uh, so it's not like we're sending Australians out to, you know, uh, conduct uh, surgeries or run programs in these places. Uh, we like to set up either a self-help group or work with an established um, they called organization of people with a disability in those places um, or, or another partner organization and, and run programs to empower people with disabilities in those places uh, through a range of you know ways so sometimes it can be a medical intervention like a surgery uh, for someone that might have um, visual impairment or sight loss uh, like a cataract um, but it could all it also equally be something like a community-based program to try and change attitudes around disability um, where there might be you know certain stigmas or, or perceptions that uh, are leading to the exclusion mm. of people yeah that's great I guess Thanks.
0: one of one of the key things there is to uh, help people with disability uh, with the tools of advocacy so ultimately they can, take on those roles of advocating to their uh, local communities, their governments for the kind of service they really need. So to mm-hmm. advise initially, but then to set them up so they can go on without us, to embrace advocacy and, and to uh, not just necessarily hand down things. That's uh, you know, always what is sometimes needed, particularly in emergency responses to famines and, Disasters and so forth, but also to just uh, give people the uh, the tools to um, empower themselves. You know, uh, give a the old saying, "Give a man a a fish, a, a fishing rod rather than a fish," mm. is a way of enabling them to ultimately stand on their own feet, dignity. Mm. Mm. Mm.
2: Mm. That's great. Um, and I guess, like my experience with the CBM, with you know, surrender, partnering with CBM is really, um, I guess, raising awareness in what inclusion looks like. Um, so when I say, you know, disability inclusion, um, Graham, would you share with us, um, you know, what things come to mind um, when I say those words?
0: Well, uh, it sort of leads on to that kind of empowerment, but inclusion really for me means uh, accept, accepting people, accepting uh, people. Uh, allowing them to feel involved and empowered in the kind of programs you're doing, and in programs more generally. But inclusion for me means not just tolerating someone with a disability, or doing it as a matter of duty, but you know, in really, really embracing them into a uh, the, the accepting their their part in uh, overall uh, programs, community community programs and so uh it's a, an acceptance too and an embracing that they are equal citizens alongside us not just someone people to be helped in a kind of downward looking kind of model but there are uh, people to be uh, valued for who they are as human beings, and, uh, of course, in a Christian context, valued too as uh, amongst uh, God's own children alongside everyone else, neither male or female, able or disabled, is sort of how I look at it. Mm. Mm.
2: And, Joe, what what do you think of when we say disability inclusion?
3: Yeah, along similar lines to Graham, uh, you know, words like genuine belonging and participation Um, As Graeme was kind of saying, you know, the presence of people with disabilities is important uh, because they don't always get a seat at the table, Um, but ensuring that uh, when they have that seat at the table that they're genuinely included and feel a sense of belonging and have an opportunity to serve. So often some of the perceptions can be that um, we need to do things for Mm -hmm. people with disabilities but really, like, inclusion is when we're doing things together and when we're doing things with people with Mm. a disability. Um, And and I think that can uh, be important in society, but also particularly in the life of the church, you know, and and that's been a revelation for me is just thinking, changing that mindset and reframing uh, what inclusion means, not just to have someone present but to have someone participating taking on leadership opportunities and, and serving alongside mm.
1: each other. That's a great distinction, not doing things for, but doing things with.
0: And that co-leading, that's just mm. key to have people at the table and not just as a token representative, mm. you know, to feel mm. like you've checked the box, but to actually sit back and listen to their own perspectives, their own lived experience, their own kind of feelings about what is going to be most needed and effective for me. Mm.
1: Mm.
3: One of the ideas I often share with people is that um, statistically people with a disability make up 15 to 20% of the global population and that's representative in Mm -hmm. Australia. And so I often ask people to think about their local Mm -hmm. context, to think about their church community, their sporting club, their school. And, you know, whilst not all disabilities are immediately visible, um, you know, are people with a disability represented in those contexts? And if they're not, why aren't they?
2: Yeah. That's interesting. Like, cause we like at surrender, we talk about the table that people are invited to the table, but that, that first thing of like, what are the barriers even to get a seat at the table? And mm-hmm. so it's easy to dismiss people or, um, like 15 or 20%. That's a big <laughs> group of people as well. And so, yeah, and. and Yeah, I guess what what are some of the barriers that you think even just getting to a seat at the table, Graham, do you think you you can share a little bit about what some of those barriers might look like?
0: Yes, well, of course, there are physical barriers uh, such as uh, lack of uh, ramp access to churches or accessible bathrooms. And uh, sometimes churches can figure, well, there's no one here with an obvious physical disabilities disabilities, so we won't need to make too many adjustments. But, of course, you know, sometimes you have to be ready for that. I mean, for example, there was a church that I was involved with. Uh, they had someone with a, a wheelchair need uh, of access. They put in a ramp and then uh, that person left. Uh, they also made adjustments to their bathroom facilities, for example. And then when that person left, they took off the motor for the, uh, the door opening to the bathroom, and so it was manually openable only, again, mm. just as it was before. So sometimes there can be a sense that, oh, well, we- there's nothing clear and obvious with a vis- disability here, so we don't really need to privilege this or prioritise it in a crowded schedule of other kind of a- competing needs. Mm. Um, of course, there's, there are other barriers too, uh, for example, uh, PowerPoint presentations or overheads for um, mm. song words. They're not always uh, presented in the most accessible way. Sometimes <laughs> there's a lot of decoration. There's a, and, uh, they might be against um, pictorial representations and it might look really glitzy and good, but it's uh, providing barriers for those with uh, limited vision, for example. Mm. Uh, sometimes there's a sense that... Um, the the sound amplification is not clear or not as um, wonderful as it could be, and and that can present issues for people with hearing issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Language can be uh, a barrier for those with cognitive or um, emotional issues in terms of their level of capacity to concentrate, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, And sometimes a barrier can exist if churches feel, oh, no, uh, we need a, a kind of really well-behaved, hushed, reverential congregation here. We can't have any kind of behavioural aberrations for people, say, mm. with emotional needs. And so there's, mm. they can feel that they're not necessarily welcomed. If, even though nothing is said, they can feel not actually sort of ushered into the centre of things, as really Jesus is calling us to do. Mm.
3: Yeah, and so I think picking up on that, Graham. like, we might group that second lot of barriers under the kind of heading of communication barriers. And so when we think about inviting people to the table, an image we often use is from uh, Luke 14 of Mm -hmm. the great banquet. And and, and in that parable, the the invitation Mm -hmm. is sent out. Um, And so one of the first steps or first barriers can be, do we actually invite people in uh, who are different Mm -hmm. to our table? And, um, you know, do we communicate in a way that is accessible to them? I know as someone that's probably studied too much during my life that I often speak too academically and and too high level for some people. Um, And so I think thinking about our communication and all the different forms that it takes, uh, particularly in the life of the church, Mm. is important for when we're thinking about uh, welcoming people with disabilities Mm. to the table.
0: And I That's can think of examples of, uh, you know, say a church that I went to and one of its missions, it was uh, involved in an accommodation space, uh, space for people with psychiatric disabilities and they are actually going out of their way to set up transport rosters to get these people in attendance to church and sometimes that would be a bit kind of messy and disruptive. No, People would sort of yell out randomly and you'd sort of think, well, I need to focus on the prayer, I need to focus on the sermon. But at the same time, it just reminded you that church services aren't perfect creations. They're Mm -hmm. humble offerings of worship to a God that knows our flaws and our imperfections. Mm. And so, in a way, well, as that kind of sense, sometimes a worship leaders to get a really wonderful presentation, a really wonderful experience that's, you know, reverential and worshipful. You know, just for a church to be able to accommodate that kind of messiness, you know that kind of, unreally kind of, you no know, bit tattered at the edges. It's really, you know, in a way, humbling and you know, reminds you. Of your share in the human experience, we're all flawed. We're all imp- imperfect in that way. No one can present the, worship, the perfect worship. Worship, and uh, sometimes people with uh, these diverse experiences, though no, they ground us in that kind of humanity. Mm.
2: I just loved what you said there, Graham. I, realize, I wrote it down quickly. Humble offerings of our worship to a God who understands like all our imperfections, or something like that, was your line, I think. And I was just like, "Oh, that's so beautiful!" Like, yeah, think- and it
0: is a reminder that now we might think, "Oh, I got four, no, 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 two legs, two arms, perfectly working eyes and ears, or whatever. I got a mind that functions, or whatever." But none of us. No, the most smartest able-bodied person, none of us are perfect. And we're all just specks uh, when it comes to the, the breadth of God's creation in terms of no, mm. only he is perfect. No, it just reminds us of our own flaws. So in a way, um, inclusion of those with disabilities is just recognising the, in a way, the diversity of humanity. Mm.
3: Yeah, and I think that, again, segues into another scripture that we'd love to draw on, which is from 1 Corinthians 12, which talks about the importance of all parts of the body and that, you know, sometimes the parts of the body that society views as weak um, are are ones that God views as the mm. most important. And, and so um, there's lots of reminders throughout scripture about the importance of disability inclusion and, and um, you know, and sometimes we just skim over them if we don't live with a disability because we don't we don't come to scripture with that kind of lens on mm-hmm. on reading it. Um, and so yeah, that's also quite important. And and just going back to your question as well around the table and and I think when we when we have people with disability at the table, it, you know, as kind of Graham was saying, sometimes that that worship space isn't geared towards people that may be different mm-hmm. and 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 particularly when we start thinking about someone's discipleship journey, you know, what does that look like for someone with an intellectual disability? Um, You know, if they're part of God's creation, um, then how do they develop that relationship with God? And and probably in the Western church, we've, you know, got too academic in in how we practice our faith and and made it too intellectual. Um, And maybe there's an opportunity for us to think about what you know, an embodied theology or mm. could look like to encourage the opportunity for all people of all different abilities to mm. be included and to experience that relationship with God.
0: Sometimes, uh, no, we the intellect can almost get in the way of our own faith journey, you know. know there are many people that ask so many questions, they almost talk themselves out of a faith. And so someone with an intellectual disability may be a reminder that just a simple, open-minded acceptance of the truth is a lesson in itself, you know, to... Uh, while God's given us minds, now at the same time that observing such people with Mm. um, that kind of intellectual issue can be a reminder of that. I mean, uh, there's another church where uh, there's uh, a guy there and he has um, uh, deafness, he has communication issues, he has intellectual issues. But again, even though he might yell out randomly during a sermon, Mm -hmm. it's a reminder that... uh, no, he he has, we can only believe some kind of simple faith there that uh, we would believe is so, uh, um, and we are in no doubt, in fact, that no God still loves him for who he is, and that's a reminder of that. Mm-hmm.
1: Hey, Joe, you've had a real passion project in around the, the Luke 14 program that you've got for Australian churches. Can you unpack some of that. You've told us about the Luke 14 uh, parable that's at the centre of it. What's your heart and hope for that program as ours well at work?
3: Yeah, so it's an initiative that we've been running for over 10 years. And um, yeah, it's a combination of kind of um, biblically based resources, uh, DVDs and, and, and workshops uh, on different types of Uh, impairments and how you might include different uh, people with disability in your church and um, it's something that yeah a lot of churches have engaged with over the last 10 years and really found um, encouraging and then yeah over the last few months we've been um, co-designing the Luke 14 online experience uh, which we're looking forward to launching in 2022. So we've been co-designing that with um, people with disabilities so it's Uh, There's a catch cry in the disability rights movement, nothing about us without us. And so it would not be Mm. with integrity for us to do it any other way. Um, And so, yeah, we're really excited about that and the opportunity that it will increase uh, hopefully the reach of Luke 14 to um, people right across Australia um, to, you know, engage with uh, disability inclusion where they're at. Recognizing that you know some people have been on this journey their whole life, and other people are coming to it either because they might have an interest all of a sudden. We often find, um, you know, it happens when someone in their family might um, be experiencing an impairment or or becoming disabled, and uh, and and they want to all of a sudden think about how do I include my family member in church because we mm-hmm. go to church together, and so. Um, That's where Luke 14 can really help Um, and we're just, yeah, we're excited about where we're at and we're looking forward to sharing uh, some lived experience stories with everyone and some uh, kind of biblical reflections and some practical kind of tools about how to go about it.
0: And I can say that I've been privileged enough to be one of the people in that Mm. kind of consultative group feeding back into the development of the template that we're trying to establish so that we can then populate it with resourcing um, for faith leaders in terms of worship, in terms of uh, small groups and study groups, but also resourcing around Advocates so uh, that if people feel that they're getting, uh, no, not feeling welcomed or included in church for any of the mm. kind of reasons we've talked about, that they can uh, go to these resources and say, Well, this is the basis for it, and this this mm. is the experience of other people who've gone through journeys and uh, struggle with mm-hmm. it and gain some kind of resolve and uh, biblical. Uh, resourcing is uh, crucial as well mm-hmm. because uh, now we want to focus not just simply on solving an issue with a healing, but as Jesus has taught us. No, uh, no, it's not really about the sins of the fathers or. or it's not about the personal conflict with this person. There no is suffering there. And sometimes it can be those sort of perceptions out there, even in Western churches. I know it's very prevalent in developing societies, which we're trying to address as well. But that sense of Jesus affirming the value of the mm. individual as well. And to, to also, you know, in this project uh, resource people and encourage them not just to be aware of people with disability but and and not just to accept them to uh, feel like it's just an obligation or one of the duties I need to perform but to actually allow them to feel a part of a congregation and a community a feeling of belonging and to affirm them in that and f- affirm them as mm. equal citizens in god's own kingdom mm. it's really crucial. very
1: important mm. so What is, for both of you, what is your hope for the Australian church? Maybe start with Graham and then hear Joe's reflections as well. What's your hope for the Australian church?
0: I would hope that the Australian church really comes to not just an acceptance, but a fully um, internalised conviction that people of diverse backgrounds, such as with disability, should be accepted, included, made to feel belong, belonging, and to be treated as equal in uh, the broader church community, that uh, there be an acceptance, that uh, people may not have their issues just neatly solved with prayer, that uh, they might need to have their own ongoing life experience, their lived experience, honoured in the way that God's allowed it to be Mm. so that there's that sense of these people uh, then being valued for the experience of their disability rather than people that have something that needs to be fixed up. Mm. Uh, Also, I'd um, hope that the Australian church would not only uh, draw them into the community but accept them uh, as real uh, fellow travellers and even as friends, Uh, so not just uh, allowed them to be sitting in the pews, but to engage them in working groups, leadership groups, uh, study groups, uh, look at ways of empowering and also listening to them, listening to their own voices in terms of how they want to be accepted and empowered.
3: Yeah, um, on a similar vein, yeah, I just hope that we can, um, yeah, become a church that fosters belonging or churches that foster belonging for people with a disability and that as a result, we become more vibrant Christian communities. Mm-hmm. I've had the joy of uh, working alongside a number of people with disabilities mm-hmm. in my time at CBM Australia and and before that, I worked as a disability support worker uh, just in the local community and, and those opportunities really changed my perspective on, on what it is to be human and what it is to be a person of faith. Yeah, I just think we're missing out when we don't include people with disabilities in our in our churches.
0: Great. Yep. Mm. I think churches need to be and I hope they will continue to evolve. I mean I know some churches have been quite kind of monocultural, quite white Anglo-Saxon. And uh, no, I'm not taking away anything from the sincerity and the faith of those communities. But the more we can embrace diverse voices, um, the more we can listen to stories of people on the edges, such as people with disability, the more we can learn and grow in faith together.
1: Mm. I was really interested when Graham came on and Joe and Graham were talking in preparation for this podcast, but we didn't press record yet. Joe was asking some questions about the best way and the most respectful way to introduce Graham. And I just wonder if we can climb into that a little bit, because for me, practically, that was so helpful. So, Joe, you asked Graham a question. Do you want to start from there?
3: Earlier, when we were talking about that image of the table and having people with disabilities at the table. And, and I, I spoke about the invitation. And I, and, and I think one of the, the barriers can be for people without a disability, when they see someone with a visible disability, oh, mm-hmm. I don't know how to approach them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to offend them. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say anything. And And what happens then is we unintentionally exclude or mm-hmm. isolate someone. The other way it can happen is they might come to your church or to your community with a support worker or a support person. And what can often happen is that uh, the people without a disability talk to the support worker rather than talking Mm. to the person with a disability. So what we were talking about as we were kind of getting ready was just um, the idea that uh, if you're unsure, it's Mm -hmm. better to ask, but ask in an open way. Don't presume... But ask people what it what they how they would like to be described and how they would like to be included in your church community. And that's a great place yeah. to start. I don't know if you agree with me, Graham. Tell me, tell me what you think.
0: We were touching on that program, there are things you can't ask. Okay. And they would have those diverse groups. And I would say, but it's pretty much nothing that you can't ask me. I mean, even if you want to ask things like uh, how are you able to keep standing up on a tram without needing a seat, for example? And I'm quite happy to just readily and respectfully correct someone on that and say, "Well, no, it's a, it's an issue of vision. It's not anything relating to my own physical capacity. I can still walk yeah. readily like anyone else can." So um, the uh, the other assumption that people can make is, "Oh, it's all so." heavy and serious and you you know you can't laugh about any aspect of their kind of experience and I can tell stories against myself I mean I was thinking of one when I was a a kid at a church and it was after the service and we were just standing around having coffee the adults were talking whatever and I wandered up to this guy and I said hi, Dad, and then I realised that he wasn't my father. So I just embarrassed myself totally. And, uh, I mean, I I do connect with what Joe's saying about sometimes you can have people talking to Mm -hmm. support workers or even a companion. And I've had experiences of being in a restaurant where I've I've been with someone who's... um, not even uh, fully sighted, but he's got significantly better sight than I have, and so the waiter will always defer to him to make the order. And so somehow I cannot articulate my own preference; uh, it has to be ordered on my yeah. behalf. And so, well said. <laughs> no, sometimes people can, can have these kinds of assumptions, and uh, no, I just think, well, if I can tell stories against myself, I'm really giving people permission to laugh about the whole situation i mean i joke around uh no well i know how to drive a car but the community is not ready for me yet
3: (laughs) (laughs) and and, yeah like i think graham that is very refreshing but i also want to make the point that language does matter and in our language we can sometimes convey pre-existing ideas or subconscious ideas and so as much as we want to encourage people to ask questions, i just reiterate the importance of being, um, I, you know, like having that attitude of inclusion. Um, you know, one, our listeners will mm. probably know Stevie Wills because she's often performed at, at Surrender and I think she's on one of the earlier episodes and and she says to me, <laughs> episode right, three, thanks, Craig. Um, go listen to that. <laughs> um she would often say to me, the most important thing is someone's attitude. If someone's attitude is one of genuine Mm -hmm. inclusion, I can get over some of those other, you know, misinformed or presumptions they might have about me. So, you know, um, find that balance between Mm -hmm. getting the words right, but also having that attitude of inclusion.
0: And so there are some Mm -hmm. people that will know, Go through the motions, or I'll say the words. But uh, people with lived experience can often pick up on whether people are just ticking boxes, or whether they're genuinely uh, respectful and engaging of people with disability. So yeah, I mean, mm. no, language is is important. There are preferences. I mean, I I like to be referred to as a person with vision impairment. There are some people out there that want to embrace the whole kind of disability pride kind of um, process, uh, stemming from gender fury, and they'll say, I'm a blind person and own that. So there are differences of perspective there. It makes it tricky for others as to how, you know, you figure you should be addressing people, but the best thing is to ask that question. You know, how would you like to be addressed? and uh, they'll mm. tell you, and uh, now you you can accommodate that. So it's sort of, it is a, a particular challenging landscape. I mean, terms, they you know, will just move from time to time as people start to recalibrate what they figure is the best kind of language or the most respectful, inclusive language. But it's just, I guess, mm. something that society needs to roll with. Just just as terminology was uh, has been constantly evolving around uh, people of colour or uh, Black Americans or whatever you want to call them, you know, it, there's a constantly shifting kind of landscape around what's linguistically most appropriate and affirming and respectful there, and it's the same with disability.
1: Well, thank you so much, Graham. Thank you, Joe. Really appreciate your time with us, your deep, wise, articulate words, and the way that you've um, really, at least for me today, represented the voice of Jesus into my life. And I appreciate the insights, the thoughtfulness and what that's going to mean for, um, for all of us moving forward, those of us who've had the privilege of listening today. So thank you again.
0: Thank you for having me, Craig and Charlene. Thank you.
3: Thank you for having us.
1: Over to you. What have you heard? What have you noticed? What have you surrendered? How will you take action? Surrender partners with dozens of organizations and initiatives. Find them and take action at surrender.org.au. Well, that wraps up Season 3 of our Surrender podcast. Our prayer is that you are inspired and refreshed as you find Jesus in the margins. We hope that you have a Merry Christmas, and we look forward to returning with Season 4 in the new year.